0: Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And as we have been in uh, the book of Exodus, I keep reminding you, we're still in Egypt, um, with God has called Moses and he sent him back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has refused to let the people go and God has sent plague after plague after plague after plague after plague. And the people are still in Egypt. Um, but we are nearing the time that they will actually, that God will bring them out. And uh, a big part of that um, and what they are to do in preparation for this and as a way of then celebrating God's uh, mighty acts is this meal of Passover. And, um, and so in celebration of the first Passover, there are instructions given, and we're going to read some of that uh, this morning. Um, this is Exodus 12 verses one through 11, but before we read, let's pray. Heavenly father, we do thank you for this day that you have made and God, we do thank you for your word that you have given to us. I would do pray that you would, um, give us ears this morning to hear your word, give us minds to think and to understand or give us hearts that are ready to receive your word. And Lord, we ask that uh, you would help us to be those who really take this to heart, that we would um, live all our days in relationship uh, with you, that we would continue to come to know you better by your word and by your spirit, and most of all through your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people that there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. that same night they are to eat The meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. All right. Turning then to our gospel reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 17 through 26. Um, This is a time when Jesus and his disciples were celebrating the Passover together. We just looked last week at the disciples going and getting the room ready for Passover. And so in verse 16, it says, uh, The disciples left, went in the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover, now picking up in verse 20, or verse 17. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hopefully, as you hear uh, those two sections, uh, one from the Old Testament, one from uh, the Gospels, you're able to see some connections and the way that even the celebration of uh, Passover all the way back in Exodus uh, was a way of remembering what God had done as he brings people out. And they're, they're celebrating it before it even happens. Isn't that cool? <laughs> and then you come all the way to Jesus at the last supper. And what is the last supper that he's having with his disciples, but a Passover meal where they're doing the same thing. They are remembering God's acts in the past, but they're also celebrating before it even happens. What's getting ready to happen. Right. And every element of this meal, uh, kind of points in two directions. It points back to what happened in Exodus as God is bringing people out and all and saving them from slavery in Egypt but it's also pointing forward to what Jesus is about to do on the cross as he is then saving people from slavery to sin and death. Super cool stuff. Hopefully you're able to see those kinds of connections between the Old and the New Testament as we go through. Uh, then we get to the book of Revelation, which is doing the same kind of thing all the way through is picking up all these pieces from the old Testament and from the new Testament and bringing them all forward and, you know, kind of pointing back to those things, but also pointing us forward uh, as we are living today in celebration of what God has done in the past, but also in anticipation of what he will do. And so that's kind of where we are in uh, this book of revelation. And, um, and just like, you know, Jesus says to his disciples at the Last Supper, you know, one of you will betray me, and they're all like, what is he talking about? Who's going to, what's going on here? A lot of times we read the things in Revelation, and we go, what is this talking about? What's going on here? Um, but, sometimes with, uh, with additional looking over it, uh, we can kind of get some clues and figure some things out, and this is where, you know, Jesus told the disciples uh, that he would actually send the Holy Spirit who would teach them all things and remind them of everything he said to them, that uh, the things that he had said that they didn't understand, that later they would understand. And so there are things that maybe we read now and we're like, I, I just don't, I don't understand it yet. <laughs> and as we keep coming back to it, we find that more and more of it, we start understanding. Wow, this is really neat. Um, so this, this morning we're looking at Revelation chapter 14 the rest of that chapter from 14 on and then into 15 and the whole of that chapter. And um, there may be some images here that are somewhat familiar to you and maybe some images here that not so much. But here we go. It's uh, Revelation 14, 14 through 15, 8. And um, again, here we are in the vision that John has been given And he says, I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another, er, then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he, who was seated on the cloud, swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel, who had charge of the fire, came from the altar and called out in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God almighty. Just, just and true are your ways. King of the nations who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked and I saw in heaven, the temple that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. There we go. This is, um, as I say, some of those images probably fairly familiar to you and others maybe not as much, Um, but this is, again, one of those uh, sections, as all of Revelation is, where it's calling on so much from before, so much from the Old Testament, even some from the New Testament, and seeing what uh, God is doing and will do in these kind of visionary images and, uh, bringing so much together. And, uh, and here's one of the fascinating things about this particular section. One thing is we're in kind of a transition section. And so we had looked at, uh, earlier on Revelation, the seven seals, and then we had these seven trumpets, and then we're about to get the seven bowls. And in between the seven trumpets and seven bowls, there's been like this whole, uh, section that's different from all of that. And so we've been kind of in this, um, other section where you have these images of like the dragon and this woman who's giving birth and the dragon tries to get the child and then it's taken away. And, uh, and then you have the beast that comes out of the sea and the beast that comes out of the land. And so we have looked at this whole system of evil that is in conflict with God and with his people who are trying to destroy what God is about, trying to destroy his creation, trying to destroy his people, trying to destroy his his Messiah. And so we see all of these forces that are kind of against uh, who God is and what he's all about. And we've spent several chapters on that, and it's kind of like, ugh. <laughs> and uh, we're not finished. And so it's kind of like as we look at uh, the book of Exodus, and we've been going through there, and we're like, there have been plague after plague after plague, but the people are still in slavery in Egypt. And here it's like we've gone through all of this stuff, and yet still we're waiting for that final decisive moment. And, uh, we've kind of seen bits of it in, uh, earlier parts of Revelation. Um, we have seen, uh, with the seven plagues, or with the seven seals, and then with the seven trumpets, um, it's almost like they lead up to a certain point, and then you go back and you pick up from here and you go forward again, and now we're gonna pick up right there at the end. And I talked about this before as like the movie Dunkirk, where it, The way that the movie is filmed is non-linear. It doesn't just go in order chronologically in time, but it keeps jumping back and forth where it's telling something that happens uh, over the space of a week. It's telling something that happens over the space of a day, and it's telling something that happens over the space of an hour. And all of those, as it jumps back and forth, then conclude at the same time. <laughs> like the, the whole story is coming together at that point. And that's kind of what we see with the, uh, with the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. Another way uh, that I like to think about this, for those of you who um, maybe have not seen that movie but have experienced pregnancy, this might be more helpful. <laughs> because Jesus talks about uh, the things going on an earth is like the beginning of birth pangs right and you're like well okay so how does that tie in with this kind of stuff and um well you depending on how you want to mark the contractions beginning until birth and delivery like we there's a different way of talking about it so you have like the Braxton Hicks contractions that are sort of happening and they're doing something but they're not as intense as they will be later, <laughs> and uh, they're not as close together, and you, so it starts fairly um, early in that whole process. And so, on the one hand, you could say, "Okay, yeah, it, things have begun. You know, we're we're getting there, but we're not there yet." And so, that's sort of like the seals. As you, as each seal is open, it's like things are beginning. This is the way things go, and um, and some of that you look at, you know, even in. Uh, The New Testament, when it talks about the last days, it's the last days have begun with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so throughout the rest of the New Testament, you have people discussing, you know, Peter at Pentecost stands up and he's like, no, this is what Joel prophesied when he said, in the last days, it's going to be like this. So at Pentecost, Peter's seeing himself already in the last days. And uh, and I think it's Hebrews where it says, you know, in these last days, you know, God has spoken to us in many ways, but in these last days, He's spoken to us through his son. Like this is uh, the New Testament writers saw themselves already in the last days. And yet here we are 2000 years later, <laughs> but you look at, um, you know, what some of the letters say, you know, in the last days, it's going to be like this. There's going to be people who are, uh, scoffers and they're gathered around the, um, the teachers who tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And we look at this and we go, well, that sounds about right. <laughs> But that was the case then too, and we see that a lot of the things as you open these seals, we're like, yeah, that's the way things have been since um, Jesus' death and resurrection. It's been like this. We see uh, wars and um, and death and famine, and as it keeps on leading up, we go, but that's not the end. End. It's still that's still to come. Same thing Jesus said. You know, there will be wars. Rumors of wars, but the end is still to come. <laughs> And so as we get farther in the seals, you get farther along in that period until then you get to kind of the end. Well, the same thing then with the trumpets uh, that are more this, all right, this is not just kind of how things are, but now it's like a wake-up call as you get these uh, trumpets that are more like when the uh, contractions begin for real. Like you're in active labor, and it's like, oh, it's time to get to the hospital. <laughs> like it's, where how many minutes apart, and they're getting pretty intense. Here we go. And that's like the trumpets where it is uh, more intense. You're starting a little farther along in that whole process and then leading to the end. The bowls, though, are going to be the... This is it. This is is that final push. The baby's being delivered. And there you go. Um, Now, every illustration breaks down at some point. You can't push any of them too far. You really get uh, yourself in trouble And this one. Same kind of thing. Because... um, While on the one hand, there is a deliverance that is happening in both cases. In a birth, you know, you have a baby who's being delivered from the mother's womb. And in this case, it is uh, the people of God being delivered from the evil and wickedness of the world. And you go, well, you're saying that women are evil and wicked? No, no, I'm not. That's where it breaks down. You can't go there. Uh, But there is this deliverance that is happening. And it is Uh, You know, we keep looking at the book of Exodus as we're reading Revelation. It's very helpful to read them together because you're seeing the same kind of thing in a lot of ways. And this, um, the things that have been leading up to the seven bowls being poured out, which we'll get into uh, next week, like all of this is in preparation. So this is kind of a transition sermon as we're in preparation for what is next. As they come out with these bowls, this is very similar to what we're reading in Exodus about the uh, Passover time. Like that's this transition period. Like you have all of these plagues that have happened already. And there's this one left. And when this one happens, there's no more warnings. This is it. This is when God brings the people out. And the same kind of thing. When we get to these final plagues, God is going to pour out his righteous judgment on all the evil and wickedness of the world. And, um, and so this is what is coming. This is where there's this, uh, preparation, For that. And so we look at this, you know, before we get even to chapter 15 with this transition period, we look at this, uh, uh, the end of chapter 14 with the, the harvest, the harvesting of the grain and the harvesting of the wine and and the the blood and the 1600 stadia. And we're like, what in the world is this about? And if you are confused about that, welcome to the club, (laughs) Because, as it turns out, there are a lot of scholars, biblical scholars who have uh, written a lot about this particular passage, and um, not a lot of agreement so here are some of the options uh you've got the harvest of the grain and the harvest of the grapes. Some people see both of these as uh, God harvesting the righteous and those who are in christ and so uh, and there's good Good arguments for seeing it that way. Uh, Some see both of these as uh, judgment on the wicked, and that that's what's going on with both of these. And you make a good case for those two. And some see that one is (laughs) the harvest of the righteous, the grain being the harvest of the righteous, and the grapes being the judgment on the wicked. Make a good case for that too. And so you go, well, then what is it? I don't know. And depending on the day you ask me, I kind of lean more towards one than another, but here's what I find fascinating about it. No matter which way you take it, the main lesson is still the same, which is fascinating to me. And that is that God is the one who is making the righteous judgment that he is the one who gets to say what the difference is that, you know, when you talk about the, um, at that time, the king will separate the sheep from the goats, the one on the right and the one on left, all that kind of thing. That's what's happening here. You see that God is the one who actually is the king over everything. He is the one who gets to uh, to make this judgment. And when he says, it's time to harvest, this is ripe. It's, you know, Whether that is uh, redemption language or judgment language, hmm, people can debate that. But what nobody's debating is who's in charge. And that has been a big question. Not only in the book of Revelation, but in the entire Bible is this question of who is in charge. You go all the way back to uh, the Garden of Eden. And isn't that the question? Isn't that the question when uh, Eve is standing there looking at the fruit and the serpent is whispering and (laughs) saying, who's in charge? You actually going to do what God is saying? Or maybe you should be in charge. Maybe you should decide what's right and wrong. Hasn't that been the question all the way through? And you look at uh, the stories like Exodus with Pharaoh. And who's in charge? Is Pharaoh in charge? He sure liked to think so. And he sure did everything he could to make sure everyone knew that he was in charge. But as you read the Exodus story, was Pharaoh really in charge? No. God is in charge. That's what we see here, and that's also where we see um, the, the song that is sung, which is so cool. This is uh, in 15, those that are coming out, uh, saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image over the uh, number of its name, and they held harps given them by God, and they sang the song of God's servant Moses. And of the Lamb, great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. This is what's going on. This is what the people of God are recognizing, and what they say that everyone will recognize at some point. That that God is the one who is actually in charge. This is uh, going back to so the song of Moses, and then also adds, end of the Lamb, which is so cool. Um, this is looking at the song that is sung after the people cross the Red Sea, when he's bringing them out of slavery in Egypt, and God divides the waters, they come through, and they are finally rescued. The Egyptians that are coming after them, aren't coming after him anymore after this. Like this is it. This is the decisive moment. And when they finally, I mean, before this, they kind of waver and yeah, we think God's going to do it or maybe he's not. And then they get on the edge of the sea and they're like, ah, we're just here to die and it's not going to work. And they're all freaking out. But then God brings them, you know, people kind of fickle, God faithful, brings them out, brings them through, and they see this decisive act of rescue and of judgment, and they sing his praises. God is the one who's actually in charge. Pharaoh could not do what God just did. Pharaoh could not stop what God just did. God is the one who's actually in charge. He is the one uh, who is to be praised. And this is uh, what we are seeing here, even in this transition period. And so it gives us hope as we look forward to what's you know, when we're getting ready to read in these uh, these seven bowls and we see the judgment of God that's being poured out his wrath being poured out upon, uh, evil. And we will, we will talk about all that. But the thing to keep in mind as we get to all that is this is very different than what we see in like revenge movies where somebody has something done wrong to them. And then they're like, well, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make sure everyone pays and they just go out and just destroy a bunch of stuff. It's not that. And we look at those kinds of movies and we go, you know, there's something about that. There's something about that that maybe feels right. <laughs> there's also something about that that eh, ought to feel wrong. And that is that there should be a recognition that what has been done is wrong and does need to be punished. But then all through the Bible, we see this, you know, vengeance is mine, <laughs> says the Lord. Why? Because he's the one who's in charge and He's the one. Who actually can judge correctly, and we are too easy to get it wrong and judge incorrectly. And so, uh, as we get uh, to these bowls, one of the great things to keep in mind: we've seen all the threats, we've seen the beast, the, the the dragon, and the and the beast out of the sea, and the beast out of the earth, and the way in which all these like nations and empires are uh, and. The, <laughs> people wanting you to worship the state. Like all of this is all against God and against his people and against his whole creation, against all of his purposes, against his Messiah. And we get to the point where we're like, ah, it's too much. There's too much that's wrong with the world. There's too much broken. It's all hopeless. And what can we do? And what we can do is always keep before us the message of the whole Bible, which is no matter all of that stuff you see, don't forget who's really in charge. God is the one who is the king over the nations. God is the one who uh, (laughs) is good and righteous and just and will do what's right and will punish evil. God alone is holy. And um, so I think back, you know, as we go through, Going through Exodus, I have to think about the the people who are in slavery in Egypt. What options do they have? You know, it's they're being mistreated. What are they going to do? File a complaint? With who? The their slave drivers? No. You could go up all the way up to the chain of command and complain to Pharaoh? Do you think he cares? No. <laughs> so what do they do? And what, uh, what they do in a situation that to them seems hopeless is they continue to cry out to God. They keep saying to God, this is not right. The way that we are being treated is not right. And when God calls Moses at the burning bush, you know what God says? He says, I've heard them. I have heard their cry. I'm going to do something about it. This is what we see uh, not only God doing in the past again and again, but this is what we see that he says he will do. We see earlier in the book of revelation that the prayers of the saints are going up like the smoke of incense in the presence of God. That when we pray and say, we are in a situation that is not right. This is not good. The way that things are happening is not Okay. We know that God hears it, and that He will do something about it, and that's what we will be getting into and so all of this is sort of leading up to that and saying, remember that God is good, remember that God is in charge. remember that God, when he acts, <laughs> he does so with justice and with righteousness, and so we can trust Him in that. still want to talk about Yertle the turtle, but we're out of time so uh, <laughs> if you have not read the uh, the Dr. Seuss book Yertle the Turtle you should do so <laughs> it's about a turtle that thinks he's in charge and tries to get higher and higher and uh, is eventually brought down low this is what we see uh, so much of in Revelation as it relates to the kings of the earth and I think <laughs> that creative way of telling the story is a helpful one so yeah Take a look at that if you get a chance. Uh, In the meantime, remember that uh, what we are facing may be big and scary and threatening. But what we are reminded again and again is that no matter how big and threatening and scary anything is, God is still in charge. He is still good. He is still holy. He is still righteous. and He is just. And he will eventually uh, act uh, to set all things right. This is what we have to look forward to, even as we wait for that now. Um, oh, the other part of this is so critical. It's when they sang the song of Moses and of the Lamb. It's that combination of the two, that this is a new song. It's not just the song of Moses. It's not just celebrating what God did at the Red Sea but it's also celebrating what he has done in Jesus. And that uh, when we look at the judgment that God is going to bring on evil and wickedness, and then we find ourselves reflecting on the ways that we have contributed to the evil and wickedness in this world, and then we go, oh no. That's where we have to remember the song, not only of uh, Moses, but also of the Lamb. That God will bring judgment on evil and wickedness, but, but... but it also mentions those who have overcome the beast and its name. And how do we do that? By being uh, in Christ, by being those who have had, had the wrath that they deserve poured out, not on, the, not on us, but on Jesus. This is what we see not only in that uh, first Passover, but as Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. That's what's going on as he is reinterpreting this as a way of pointing to what he's doing and that, um, yeah, the the judgment of evil coming down on him. So those who are in Christ don't have to face uh, the judgment on the wickedness and evil that is coming, but instead can rest secure in Christ and in his victory over all of it.